All right, as the kids get ready to head out to their class, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 13. We are going back to the book of Acts after having kind of been away from that in a sense for for just a little while. But we're going to start again and continue to go a chapter at a time working working through this book. And so I hope you'll continue to read along with that uh, bookmark card that we passed out. I know we're off by a couple of weeks, but if you'll continue to read and anticipate how God is going to work through and you start to kind of see the book of Acts unfold, it, it really helps it bring, bring it alive. Uh, I don't want you to be surprised what we're doing on Sunday morning. Read in anticipation. Have a hunger for God's word and, and allow him to work in your life through that. So Acts chapter 13 is what we're going to be looking at here in just, uh, just a couple of minutes. As we get started, I want to say this. When a lot of people talk about church, one of the things that they will say is, it's just a bunch of hypocrites down there. Or, that place is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. When somebody says something like that to you, just give them your surprised face. When, uh, when my kids spill their spaghetti on the floor, or they spill their drink, Amanda and I look at each other and say, this is my surprised face. Meaning, we knew all along that was going to happen. I, I knew that was going to be what takes place. And so, plus a surprised face helps kind of relieve the tension in the, in the moment when the spaghetti's on the floor. But people will say, that place is full of hypocrites. And really, there's not much of a response that you can provide at that point that's probably going to alleviate whatever their frustrations are. Most likely, they got mad at somebody at some point or had a bad experience or something like that. And, and so they have these feelings... And really all you can do is just be humble and gracious and say, you know what, we are in need of God's grace and we're wanting to follow him. And there's just not a perfect answer at that point. But the the point does stand that as Christians, we should be people whose actions match our words. If we're going to say something, we're going to do something that matches our words. But what I want to propose to you this morning is there's a flip side to that. We want to do what we say, but we also need to be ready to speak about what we do. Here's one way you can say it. We need to be people who practice what we preach, but we also need to be people who are willing to preach what we practice. Practice what we preach, preach what we practice. And we're going to look at what that means this morning. Let's look at Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read from the New International Version, but follow along in your phone on your tablet, and whatever uh, version you have in front of you. Let's read. We're going to read verses 1 through 12, uh, because obviously it's a a long chapter. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. This John is John Mark, who's being referred to there. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. 
There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, just one of the, the leaders there, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the work that you do in our lives and in our families. We thank you for the book of Acts as we see the gospel spreading to new places, spreading all over the world. And and we sit here this morning a result of the spread of the gospel that we see in Acts. And so we want to see clearly what it means to be a church, what it means uh, to be the people that you're creating us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so when we get to Acts chapter 13, this is an important transition in the book of Acts. Up to this point, chapters 1 through 12, Peter has been one of the main characters in the book of Acts. He's been doing a lot of the miraculous works. He's been doing a lot of the things that that God is doing. But we saw back in Acts chapter 9 that there was a man named Saul. And God appeared to him, Jesus appeared to him on the road in this incredible vision And Saul was blinded, but ultimately he came to see the reality of who Jesus was. And and he became a follower of Jesus, and not just a follower of Jesus, but someone who was going to spread that message. And when you get to chapter 13, it begins in Acts, what we call Paul's missionary journeys. And so from this point all the way through chapter 28, you're beginning these missionary journeys that Paul would go on. It seems like he took three different journeys And next week, we're going to have some maps up on the screen so we can kind of follow along with what Paul's doing here. But he takes these three different journeys, and ultimately, it takes him further and further away from Jerusalem and closer and closer to Rome. And so the book of Acts is all about how the gospel is spreading, how the message of Christ is going out from Jerusalem to all people. Because Luke told us in Acts 1-8 that you're going to be my witnesses, and it's going to happen in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so that is what Acts shows. It shows how the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. And so chapter 13 is the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys. And it's fascinating how it begins. Notice in verse 1, in the church at Antioch, there were gathered together there these prophets and teachers. Barnabas is listed first, most likely because he was one of the first to become a follower of Jesus among this group, or maybe he was kind of seen as the main guy in the group initially, not Paul, but Barnabas maybe. There's Simeon called Niger. If you're wondering about that term Niger, and, and we're obviously we're being, being very careful and appropriate here, but it does refer to someone with black skin. That, that's a re- reference there from the ancient text referring to someone with black skin. In the ancient world, Oftentimes, we, there wasn't the prejudice against skin color. 
even in the way that we've had in our country in years past. And, and so it was a reference showing that the gospel had spread outside of Jerusalem to places where people lived and they had black skin. And so it's showing that the gospel is spread. Simeon, there's Lucius of Cyrene. He was a part of more of the spread of the gospel. Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod. It means he was connected with the royal family in some way. And then it mentions Saul. And so they're getting ready to go out on this journey. And in verse 2 it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. What's fascinating here is that Paul's missionary journeys begin in a worship gathering, not a strategy meeting. When we do mission work a lot of times, or we say we're going to do something as a church, Oftentimes, we start with a strategy meeting. This is maybe what we should do and where we should go. The work that Paul does, his missionary journeys, begin in a worship gathering. And we remember from what Richie was saying last Sunday in Psalm 96, the idea that the reason that we do missions, the reason that we spread the gospel, is not because it's a great effort to be involved in, but because God is so great. He is the reason that we go and do missions. And so Paul's journeys begin with a recognition of the greatness of God, that he's not a boring God, he's not a forgetful God, he's not an inactive God, he is a God who is on mission and he calls his people to do the same thing. And so we are supposed to be on mission and that begins in a context of worship. There's a couple of things about worship that we see from these verses. And on the back of your bulletin that you got when you came in, there's some notes that you can use to, uh, to follow along as we go through the scripture on the back of that, that worship guide. But there are a couple of things about worship that we see here. The first is that worship is participatory. And I practiced that word a couple of times this week. It's participatory. It means that worship is not something that we do that involves one person. Notice back there in verse 1, there are five different people mentioned. Then in verse 2, it says they were worshiping. It's a plural pronoun, probably more than just those five guys, probably the whole congregation brought together. And then in verse 2, when it says set apart for me, more of a plural pronoun going on there. The idea being that when we worship, it involves a lot of people. And frankly, let me be honest about this. In our churches today, we don't do a good job of this sometimes. Because frankly, who's standing on stage right now? One person. And when people think about worship, they think about the preacher speaking to people who are sitting there as spectators. And if we're not careful, worship becomes a spectator sport. Except when you look in scripture, worship is never a spectator sport. Everybody is involved. Everybody is engaged. That's the reason we sing together. That's the reason we gather together. That's the reason we greet one another. That's the reason we read God's word together is because we're all called to be involved in what's going on. Even the sending out. Not everyone was sent out, but everyone was involved in that process. When you come together on Sunday morning, especially if you bring children with you, remind them that we are going to worship, not as a destination, we are going to worship as a verb, meaning your coming here means that you're participating, that you're actively involved in seeing God's greatness, learning his word, meeting with other people. We gather together, all of us, to worship 
not to listen to one person. Because frankly, I get tired of listening to myself. And so I know you must get really tired of it. And so we don't gather for one person to be involved. We gather because we're all in this together. Here's the other thing. And man, am I proud of this word. We had participatory, but worship was also propulsory. All right, I tried hard on this, so give me a little bit, all right? It's propulsory. Here's what I mean, and I don't mean to make light of the concept, but here's what I mean by propulsory. Worship propels us out. It's propulsion. Worship is never about just being in one place. When we worship God, we are propelled to go out. We are sent out on mission. Right here in verse 2, the Holy Spirit says, that's good that you're worshiping. Guess what? Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, and then it says, sent them off in the New International Version. What that language is getting at at the end of verse 3 is they released them. Almost like we had security guards at all these doors, and we have so many doors we can never have security guards, but uh, we have all these doors and there were guards there saying, you can't get out until the Holy Spirit says it's okay to go. And the Holy Spirit propelled them, released them, sent them out. But notice who was sent out here. Saul and Barnabas. Now we don't know these other guys very well that are mentioned here in verse 1. But what you do find out are that the two guys who are sent out, they're pretty good. In other words, if Saul and Barnabas were on your fantasy church team, you're not going to release them on waivers. You're not letting them get away. Like these guys, you're going to keep them on their, you might say, Lord, I can think of a few people here that I would like to send out. I can think of a few people here that I would like to release to another team, but don't let Saul and Barnabas go. But that's exactly who he sends out. He sends out the top guys. And if we're not careful in church, we say, oh, that person's really talented. We're going to do whatever we can to keep them right here. Or that person is really good and really godly. Let's not let them get away. But realize that what happened right here, sending out the very best, it wasn't a loss for this church because it was a gain for God's kingdom. They knew that if they sent out Paul and Barnabas, their church might feel like they lost out, but they knew that God's kingdom was going to grow. A church that is committed to its own reputation, its own popularity, will do whatever it can to keep all of the good people here. But if we're really committed to the spread of the gospel, and we're really committed to God's kingdom, we're going to say, you're talented, you're gifted, you're godly, go. Go. Go and spread the gospel wherever, wherever God sends you. Let's not be a group of people that say we're going to protect resources, protect people, hold on to people, Let's live with open hands. Let's live saying, God, do something through us that we can never manufacture on our own. And so we see worship happening here. And then look what happens as they're sent out. Verse 4, the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Okay, that's a very important comment there where it says they proclaimed the word of God. When they were sent out, their main task was proclaiming the word of God. 
Then they move on in verse 6. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And there they met this Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was intended of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. This proconsul, it says, was an intelligent man. That's an important reference. Sometimes people will say that the early church was just made up of dumb people who were duped into believing Jesus. That's not the message of Acts. The message of Acts is that these people were thinking with their minds. They were experiencing God with their hearts. They were really engaged in what was happening here. Verse 8, Elymas, the sorcerer, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil. That's a good way to make friends. And an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? And then notice the same thing happens to Elymas that had happened to Saul. The hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Guys, leave verse 12 up there for a minute. This is a fascinating verse. When I read it a couple of weeks ago, getting ready for this morning, I, I had to do a double take. Because look at it again. When the proconsul saw, so he saw what had happened, he believed for or because the, res- the reason he believed, he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So much of me, when I first read that verse, anticipated that it should have ended for he was amazed at what he had seen happen. Or he was amazed at this miracle. Or he was amazed at what God had done. But it says that he believed for or, or because he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So these people, in order to believe, they saw God do something. And then they heard the truth about God. There was a seeing and a hearing that combined together in them believing about who Jesus was. And we have to remember that we live in a world in which sometimes people will say, if I could just see God, then I would believe. Or if I could just see God do something, then I might believe. But what we find out in Scripture is that there's always this combination of seeing God do something, but we still need to hear. We still need to hear the truth about Jesus. Look on your notes there. There's a text from Hebrews chapter 2. It says, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2 This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, so announced is something that you would obviously hear, it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And then in verse 4 it says, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The reason I put those verses on your paper is because in one verse you see them hearing about God, In the second verse, you see that they experienced, they saw God do things. Both of those combined together as they were believing in God. After Jesus' resurrection, you have the story in John chapter 20 about one of Jesus' followers named Thomas. We know Thomas as what? Doubting Thomas. Thomas said, if I can see Jesus, if I can touch him, then I will believe in him. And so Jesus appeared to him, and he said, Thomas, look at the hole. 
in my side. Look at the holes in my hands. You can touch them. Touch them and believe. But then Jesus, right after he says that, he says, blessed are those who believe yet have not seen. Because Jesus knew the time would come when not everybody would lay eyes on him, would not see him in the same way that Thomas did, but they would still need to believe. God always works combining his works with his words. A couple of important theological terms. I really would ask you to write these down because this isn't theology class. I know we've gathered together to worship this morning, but there's a couple of phrases I want you to know. The first is the phrase general revelation. Not revelation, the book of the Bible, but revelation in the sense that God reveals himself. There's general revelation. When we talk about general revelation, we're talking about what you can experience about God when you go outside and you look at nature, or you experience God's goodness in your life. Something happens in your life and you say, thank God. Sometimes people who aren't very spiritual, people who don't really attend church, they'll go outside and they'll look at nature and they'll say, there has to be something behind this. There has to be some explanation of this. I walked outside early this morning and there was a hint of cool weather. And you think, thank God, fall is coming. This idea that God reveals himself. We see his goodness. We see his power. But if someone walks outside and they see a beautiful sunset, they're not going to go from that beautiful sunset to, I need to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. The general revelation just means it tells us generally about God. The second phrase is special revelation, or some people will call it specific revelation. It means you know generally about God, but then somebody comes along and says, guess what? God created you on purpose, and God desires to have a relationship with you. And the way that you have that relationship is through trusting in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins, and who rose from the dead to defeat death, So that even if you die, you will have eternal life through Jesus Christ. You don't get that from the sunset. The sunset is beautiful. The sunset is wonderful. The sunset says God is great, but God gives us his word, specific, special revelation, so we'll know what he's up to. So we'll know why he created those things. And so this idea of works and words always go together. And God created us in the same way. People need to see our works. They need to see us living for God. But they also need to hear words about God. One of the ways I tried to say it, I think I put this quote on your paper, is that people are looking for authenticity in our actions, but they're also looking for explanations for our actions. People want us to be authentic. If you say you're a Christian— If you say you believe in God and your life doesn't look like that, you're an imposter, you're a poser, you're a fake, and they say, I don't want anything to do with that. People need to see authenticity. But if you go to church because you believe in God and someone says, why do you go to church? And you say, just because. Well, that's no explanation for what you've done. Or if you care for somebody in your neighborhood, somebody in your neighborhood is, is dealing with a difficult time, and you go to them, and you take them food, or you sit with them, and you care with them, and they say, why did you do this? 
I'm just trying to be a good person. Well, that's no explanation for what God has done in your life. People need to see that our actions are authentic, but they also need an explanation. And that explanation should not point back to us. It should point to God. Ed Stetzer says it like this. Without words, in other words, without explanations, what can our actions point to but ourselves? Our actions are meant to prompt people to ask questions. If you do something kind for someone and they say, why did you do that? You want to say, let me tell you about the grace of God. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ and how he changed my life. I was a prideful person. I was living for myself and Jesus radically transformed my life and I want to share his love with you. Well, now you've gone from doing something good, but you're also speaking words that explain that. At First Baptist, here's what we say. We say we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. I know you might get tired of me saying that, but we're going to say it over and over. We exist to proclaim, we say it with our mouth, and display, we live it with our lives, Jesus. Everything points toward him. We have to match it up. A few years ago, many of us in this room went through Hurricane Katrina. My wife and I were living in New Orleans at the time, living on the first floor of an apartment. We saw our apartment on the news while we were evacuated in Texas. We looked at each other and said, well, those five crockpots from the wedding are, are gone, you know. And so uh, we had just been married for a few months, and, and so we were living there in New Orleans. Many of you uh, we're living right here on the coast, and frankly, in an area that was hit harder than New Orleans and certainly got less press than New Orleans, but, but an area that was dra- dramatically influenced. We live in an area that saw one of the greatest influx of good deeds, maybe, maybe in the history of this country. People poured into this area. They did good things for one another. They rebuilt homes. They served food. They restored power. They gave out water. There were a lot of good deeds, good things that were done in this area in the years following Katrina. Fast forward to 2014. The drug and alcohol situation in Hancock County is completely out of control. And it's out of control at an age level that is so low that it's just mind-numbing how young kids are exposed to these these issues with drugs and alcohol. Our foster care situation in Hancock County is frankly unbelievable. We've passed 450 kids in foster care in Hancock County after there were much less than 100 before Katrina. We live in what is probably, depends on the study you look at, but we live in what is probably the least churched county in Mississippi. If good deeds were going to make the difference, we should be the case study for that. We should see that. But if it's going to take good deeds plus the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's the world we live in right now. It is good to be a church that does good things. It is good to be a Christian that does good things. But people are going to believe when they are amazed at the teaching of the Lord, not at our goodness. My goodness is not going to cause anybody to find new life in Jesus. It's going to be when they're amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So don't get me wrong. Let's continue to do good things. 
But if we're going to do those good things, we have to do them in the name of Jesus. And we have to do them speaking about the gospel of Jesus, the hope and the transformation that he brings. When Amanda and I were in Israel last year in 2013, we were getting ready to board the plane to head home to, to the United States. And one of the men on our team got severely ill in the airport. And it became obvious he did not need to be on a plane crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And so one of the other guys on the team stayed behind with him. He did a very good deed. He stayed behind with this man. But when he stayed behind with him, you know what else he did? He led him to faith in Jesus Christ. He found out that this man had grown up in a church. He'd attended church a lot, but he had never truly placed his faith in Jesus Christ. He had just played this church game his whole life to a point that he traveled to Israel because he thought that's what he was supposed to do. But this guy stayed behind with him. He cared for him while he threw up. He dealt with him when he went to the doctor. And then he said, this is the truth about Jesus. Will you turn to him and find salvation? And he did. Let's be a church. Let's be a people who worship God, who do good works, and then who are ready to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for us here in just a second, and then Peggy is going to come up and lead us in a song. If you need someone to pray for you, if you want to just say, I need to refocus my life, I do good things, but I'm not telling people about Jesus, use this time to say, God, transform my life. Make me who you want me to be. Let's pray together, and we're going to uh, move into this time of seeing.